Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out a community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Good morning, Movement Church. Um, for those of you that know, maybe some of you don't know, today is uh, Mallory and I's last day here at Movement, and um, I said at first service, or at least I think I did, I can't remember, but this is how grateful I am to uh, have been a part of this family, to have been part of this church uh, for the season that God had given us. And uh, he has a plan for every person's life in this auditorium right now. And his plan for us just happens to be moving us. But that's okay because my entire goal since I've been here, and hopefully this is true in your life, is to inspire you to do one thing and one thing only, and that's love Jesus more, period. So while today is my last day, I'm going to continue to do that, and I know that you will continue to do that too, and for that I'm very grateful. And we will continue to pray for you, and we will continue to love you from afar, Um, but today we're going to do the most important thing, which is sit underneath uh, the God that we both love and his words, and we're just going to say, God, teach us this morning. And so if you've been here, you know that we're working through the series called Trilogy. We're working through the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, written by the disciple John, the one whom Jesus loved, is how he describes himself affectionately. John was literally connected to the heart of Jesus. He laid his head on the heart of Jesus, but I think he, in a lot of ways, also expresses the heart of Jesus in his letter to the church. And if you've been here, you know that Mark kind of said, you know, first, second, and third John, it's a, it's a repudiation. It's a response to some of the lies and infectious uh, ideas that have come into the church. And so it's kind of a re-entering into uh, the basics of the Christian life. In fact, John actually tells us in chapter 1, verse 4, and chapter 2, verse 1, why he's writing this letter. First, he says, I am writing to you, dear children, so that you would fully share in our joy. And who wouldn't want that, right, in the relationship with Jesus, to fully share in joy, to have life to the fullest. And then in verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, I'm also writing to you, dear children, that you would not fall into sin. And who also wouldn't want to know that? If we don't want to be entrapped in sin, if we don't want to be enslaved in sin, and we also want to experience life and life to the fullest, then we need to take heed of what the Apostle John says. And here he has quite the application because he breaks it down super simply. And what I think we'll discover this morning is that there is no room to love the world, and we're going to digest what that is, and love God at the same time. You're either going to love one or you're going to love the other. And so let's dive into the text this morning, 1 John 2, 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17. I know I didn't give you a whole lot of heads up, but uh, that is on page 743 under 
your seats, those Bibles underneath your seats. John says this, do not love this world nor the things that it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you for the world offers only. Remember that word. The world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything that we see, and a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world, and this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. You cannot love both God and the world. And hear me correctly this morning. Not you should not love both the world and love God, but you can not love the world and love God. And I would propose that John gives us two reasons why we shouldn't, even though we can't. And the first is John says, the world, it's empty. If you have the love of the world, then you are empty of the love of the Father. But number two, he also says that the love of the world is fading away. The world is fading. But if we're going to define these terms, we've got to understand what the world is. Because just like we use the word base in our language to describe something like a fortified military base, we can also mean home plate. At a baseball game, the world actually has three different meanings in the text in the New Testament. First is God so loved the world. And when God so loved the world, he gave his one and only sons that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. When John is writing that, he means all people. Second, you have the world, which is God's creation, the very physical globe that we all walk on. But thirdly, there's a far more sinister uh, way that we use the word world in the New Testament, and that's the one that John is using in this text, and the world is best described when sin goes viral. I don't know if you've ever seen the viral video of, if you literally just go on Google and type guy dancing at a concert, you'll find this video, and many of you maybe have seen it, but it's a video of one guy, there's this concert, everyone's sitting on blankets and kind of chilling out, the music's kind of chill, and then this one guy starts vibing and starts dancing, and he's just dancing for five minutes, and you see people kind of look over at him like, what is this guy doing? And then eventually, one other guy joins him, and then a third guy, and then there's 10, and then there's 20, and by the end of the video, the whole place is just going crazy, because this one guy started it. And that's a positive example of how we can be influenced by people. But you flip that around and you put this in a scenario where one person wants to create chaos and it turns into a riot. And if you've ever been a part of a riot or you've seen a riot, you know that it just becomes this angry mob. The individuals are lost in it. And this is a perfect example of how the world works. That it starts with these insidious ideas that are anti God and it starts to permeate and permeate and it just starts small but eventually everybody is infected and it becomes normalized in the world. In fact, I love John Mark Comer's definition of the world. He says this, the world is a system of ideas, values, morals, practices, and social norms that are 
integrated into the mainstream and eventually institutionalized in a culture corrupted by two twin sins. Number one, rebellion against God. And number two, the redefinition of good and evil. So let me break that down. The world is the water we swim in. It's the air that we breathe. It's the ideas that permeate our culture that everybody just kind of accepts. But if they are anti-God, then the world is the full sail acceptance of distorted ways of living and then acting as if they are normal and even celebrating them as such. And we all know this. How many of us in this room are completely burnt out on life? Many, if we're honest, probably all of us to some degree. Doesn't mean we don't have joy, but we're burnt out. Why? Because our culture has completely abandoned the truth of how God designed the human being to work and rest. If you are not practicing a biblical Sabbath, you may have a day off, but that day off is filled with other work. And I would imagine that your life is running on fumes. And we live in a capitalist country, and I have no problem with that, but the problem with capitalism is that it's all about efficiency in the economy, and we're going to make more, and we're going to do more, and we're going to get more money, and that will not wait for rest. So what do we do? We just drive our lives into the ground over and over and over again, and we just live in this world where everyone's burnt out that we just think that it's normal, and so we accept it. Well, what about the world of sexual freedom that we now live in, right? We're a sexually free culture. Watch pornography. Do whatever you want. Have sex with whoever you want. There are no consequences. And you know, it's so funny. We were doing premarital counseling this week with a couple, and we were talking about the biblical sexual ethic. And these people have been around church, and it was like they had never heard this before. And I was just blown away, but then I remember that most couples that we do premarital counseling with have been so infected with these ideas from the world that they think that God is just some prude. And so they see God's way of looking at sex, the Bible's way of looking at sex as slavery and their way as freedom. And yet when I look at the world and I see people that are actually living that way, they're the ones enslaved. They live empty and meaningless lives where sex becomes this tool that they constantly need to use for their own self-gratification and for their own insecurities. And we call that freedom. But not only that, like I'm watching the Super Bowl a couple weeks ago, and this thing that we used to call bad has now become good And every other commercial was about some gambling site that wants you to give them money betting on the game. And it's just this worship of more money and more stuff. And the CEOs of these leagues that used to say, we don't want gambling to do with it because it will ruin the integrity of the game, get these huge paychecks from these companies and they just go, okay, now it's acceptable. And we all just go, this is normal. We're all used to watching the game now and looking at DraftKings and looking at all these different companies that want you to spend money so you might get a little bit of money if you gamble it. And we just go, okay, I guess it's not that bad. 
But just like a pickle is really just a cucumber that becomes a pickle by being saturated in the brine of vinegar and spices, how many of us have just been so saturated with the things of the world, the thinking of the world, the ideas of the world, the culture of the world, that we've become pickled too? We just accept it. And people ask the question, that don't have a worldview with God in it. Like, how did something like the Holocaust happen? And I will tell you, it's not just sin, it's the world. How does ordinary German people eventually come to a point where it is acceptable to do what they did? It's the world. You could ask a lot of the people in that country when that was going on and It was just what they were living in. And we look back and we go, that's so horrible. But what will people say about the culture that we are living in today? It's the world. And this is why Jesus' brother, James, wisely told us two things about the world in his letter to the churches. He said, number one, if you are friends with the world, you are actually an enemy of God. You're not just anti-God, you're his enemy. And if you're friends with the world and you're enemies with God, that means that when you are thinking the way the world thinks, James says, your brain is literally, the word that he uses is being polluted. It's being polluted. And this is why John says, do not Love this world or the things that it offers you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. No one can love both God and the world. And you go, well, like, how does this play out in our world? How does this actually play out in my life? And John tells us, he says, the world offers It just holds out on a plate. It offers these things. And the language that he uses is a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything that we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, he says, but these are from the world. And I actually like the other translations better. Though this is pretty clear, but the other translation called the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And lust is this just over-desire oftentimes for good things God gives us, and then we put our hope and trust in them as if they are God. So first he says, the world offers the lust of the flesh, the craving for physical pleasure, and I define this as everything becomes something to consume. All the food I can eat, all the drink that I can have, all the people in my life become objects for my personal gratification. My spouse is there for my needs. My spouse is there for my sexual pleasure. My people in my life serve my desires and my wants. I want that. I want this. So whether it's Instagram or food or alcohol or sex or pornography, it's just this desire of our flesh to just put more and more and more and more in our lives. But it's empty. And then you have the lust of the eyes. 
or the craving for everything that we see. And I call this the I want it, I need it syndrome. This is what social media is actually doing in our lives. You swipe through. You go, I want those clothes. I wish I had her hair. I wish I had that house. I wish I looked like that. I wish my family looked like hers. I wish my house was cooler than that person's. I wish, and we just go up and up and up, and our eyes are filled with jealousy and envy, and anybody that's spent any time doing that in their life knows that the further you descend into those circumstances, the emptier you feel over and over and over again. Life will never be enough, I'll never have enough, I'll never be enough. This is the lust of the eyes. It's the consumption with, with, with everything that we see. And what does Jesus say? The eye is the lamp to your body. It's the thing that lights it up. But if your eye is full of darkness, so is your life. So what are you looking at? What are you consuming with your eyes? But he doesn't stop there. He says that the world offers on the platter the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and then lastly, a pride in our possessions and achievement. And I call this, the ma- I am the master of my destiny and legacy. It's this idea that I do me, I live my truth, which is a fallacy. There's no such thing as your truth. There's just the truth. I live for me and my gratification. I live for my success. You exist to celebrate me. This is also the idea that we reject any authority that would ever tell us to conform to their way of living. This is what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden when they say, God, I know you gave us all of this, but we don't trust you. We want to go our own way. That is the pride of life. But here's the deal. Verse 16 is true when it says, the world offers only only. This is all that the world offers. So if you want it, take it, but it's all that it's going to give you. And it's all empty. Because pursuing empty things only creates a craving for more empty things. And like John Mark Homer said, this becomes normalized and institutionalized in our culture. And if you want a perfect example of how these three sins have become institutionalized and celebrated and normalized in our culture, it's one word and it's called college. You go to college to get messed up. There's awkward laughter, but we all know it. There's this subculture, this subplot that we all believe that that college is the time that we do what we want to do, whatever we want to do, whenever we want to do it. There's no consequences. That's college. Then I'll grow up. Then I'll go to church. Then I'll love Jesus. That's the world institutionalizing sin, distorted ways of living as if it's normal when it's not. And it grieves the heart of God. We literally tell people in college to just stack as many sins on top of each other, and we tell them that if they package it correctly, they'll finally find life and fulfillment. But it's a bogus lie. That's the world. Or you watch celebrities, and their lives just get destroyed from the inside out 
because they're the only ones privileged enough in our culture to reach the apex of money and fame and success. And when they get there, they're so lonely and they're empty that they destroy their lives. But we go and we don't have the same privilege. And so we continue to believe the lie. Well, if I just had enough, if I just looked like them, if I just had the things that they had, then it would satisfy Because all we really want is life and life to the fullest. Isn't that what we want? That's what I want. But if we chase the world, we lose our life in the process, which is why I love what Jesus says in Mark chapter 8. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. For what good is it for someone to gain the entire world and yet forfeit their very soul? The things of the world are empty of the life that you want And yet Jesus says, when you lay your life down for me, then you pick up your cross, which requires sacrifice and submission to his will, not yours. He says, you actually pick up the life that you've always wanted. What a paradox. And isn't this the way that Jesus commands us to live. You can't love God and love the world because they're opposites. Read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. For Jesus, the way up is down. The way to life is through death. The way to receive is to give. But for the world, the way up is by shoving people down on your way. The way to Life is to gratify all of our desires and stuff. The way to receive is to receive and to go get and to bring in more. And Jesus says it's the opposite. Pick up your cross. That's a death instrument. You crucify your ego. You crucify your desires and you pick up mine and you will save your soul, yes, but you will also get life. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, John says. They are from the world and Verse 17, the world is fading away. You can't love the world because it's empty and you shouldn't love the world because it's fading away. And we all know this. You crave and you trust in your personal looks, you're gonna get old and you're gonna get ugly. And it doesn't matter how much Botox you inject, it ain't gonna help and sometimes it makes it worse. Don't trust in it. It's fading. You trust in that next drink, 
You like that little buzz you got? Well, to maintain it, you got to keep drinking one more, one more. And even if you drink all night, guess what? You're going to sober up. It's fading. You trust in that next piece of clothing, it'll get old. It will get holes. You'll need another one. It can get stolen. It can get destroyed. You trust in romance, you will crush the person that you love because their love is fading in comparison to the love of God that you were designed for. It's fading. You put your hope in one more trip to the fridge for food. You want to eat your feelings? That's my sin sometimes. You need one more cookie. You need one more PB&J. You need one more bowl of cereal. You can laugh. I know you all do it. It's fading. And it makes you unhealthy. The world and its stuff... It's offerings. Again, and so many of these things are good things, but they're meant to be enjoyed with the God who created them. But when we love the world instead of God, we try to hang on to these fading things as as tightly as we can because we know that they're flipping through our hands, and so we jam as much in as fast as we can. And I love what this guy named Pliny the Elder, who was a first century philosopher in Rome, said about the Romans, because I think it's true of Americans today. And he said this uh, of the Romans. He said, when the Romans, they can't make something beautiful because everything had to be beautiful. They just make things bigger. And we do this too. If we can't be fulfilled, then, then we just add bigger things to our life. We can't live well, we just add to our life. We make bigger houses, we add stuff to our calendars, we add activities to our kids, we add vacations we can't afford, we want money that we can't have, and even if we had, we don't need, all in pursuit of more, but it all just becomes noise, and it becomes so much noise in our life that we miss the still, soft, voice of God. I mean, and this is what we do. We live from one fading thing to the next. Netflix is literally designed to keep you going from one fading thing to the next because when you finish one episode, tick, 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 click the next episode or it's going to start for you in five seconds. It's fading. But we just go, I'm so unfulfilled. I'm just going to push as much into my life as I can. But when we do that and we stuff our lives full of the things of the world, we miss God because there's no more room for him. Have you heard the still, small voice of God in your life? Because one of the ways you know that you're, you're, you're saturated with the world is you just have all this noise. It's just noise. We live from one podcast to the next. We live from one meal to the next. We live from one activity to the next, one vacation to the next. And in the gaps, we miss God entirely. And God sits idly on the sidelines of our lives until we have an hour or two a month, maybe, for him. But if you love the world, 
then you love things that are fading. But here's the trick. You love the things that are fading in this world. When you do, you will fade with them as a human being. No one can love both God and the world. But, and this is a huge but, John reminds us that this world is fading away. But he says at the end of verse 17, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Life, that's what you want. And the world offers it. It's a corrupted version. And everyone tells you, you should chase this. But John says God actually provides life. And it's eternal. And it's full. And I thought to myself, the human being, and listen to that clearly, the human being that lived the best life, the most pleasing life to God, his name was Jesus. And when you examine his life, his life was so empty of the things that we think are going to make us full and so full of the things that we think are empty. When was the last time you spent 30 minutes in silence before your heavenly father? We're so nervous because of the darkness that would be revealed in us, but our father will meet us there. And Jesus spent copious amounts of hours in the father's presence, just in silence and solitude. That's the opposite of the world. And we can't keep running from our pain and our temptations by just shoving more in our lives. And this is why I love when Jesus was tempted, what happens? He was tempted just as we are tempted, exactly as we are tempted. But he was so full of God and so full of the word of God that every time the enemy tempted him in the wilderness with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, what was Jesus' response? It was, yes, but God. Yes, but God says this. Is that the way that we live where we're okay with temptation? It doesn't freak us out, but we're able to go, yes, but God says X. And when Jesus experienced pain, and pain is also something that will drive us to the things of the world, and his friends abandoned him, he experienced trauma and rejection and disappointment. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the day before his death, and he's praying to the Father, he asks God, God, would you take this from me, but, but not my will, your will be done. And so you go, well, if I can't love the world, how do I love God? And I think it's super simple. The way that we love God is simply trusting God and constantly reorienting our lives to relationship with him. And then doing what pleases him. Anyone that's been in a romantic relationship in this room knows the joy that comes when you do something that pleases your partner, your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whatever. The joy that comes for that. And that's what John says. He says, this is the love of God, that you would do what pleases God. 
Loving God is just trusting him enough to constantly reorient your life to him because he is the one that can satisfy not the things of the world. And as I thought about it this week, I thought of my wife and I thought of my kids and thought about how offensive and and, and just hurtful it would be if every time Mallory needed something, instead of going to me, she needed a support, she needed to buy something that we needed for the house or she just needed help, how offensive it would be that she, if she just walked out of her house and went over to the neighbors and asked for help. And I'm like, I'm here, I wanna help, I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna serve you. Or if my kids, when they really wanted affection or they wanted fun or they wanted the next cool thing, instead of coming to daddy and asking for it or being with daddy, they went over to the neighbor's house because they have the cooler stuff. And, and that's what we do with God when we love the ways and the things of the world. We tell God that he is inadequate, that he doesn't know our needs, that he doesn't know the best way for us to live. And so we tell God, like, I'm going to have it my way and I'm going to do it my way. But John makes it so clear. You can't love one and then also love the other. You you have to choose. So what is your life full of? What is it full of? For the world offers only. But the Bible promises that when you seek him, you will find him. And when you find him, here's what Jesus offers And anybody can have it in this room at any time if they would just go seek it from God. Jesus says that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they would have life and life to the fullest. You want life. That's all we want. We want life and life to the fullest. The world offers it, but it's a bait and switch, but God can actually give it. And then Jesus also promises, he declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever comes to me and believes in me will never be thirsty. Who in this room is thirsty? I'm thirsty. And we just go, one more thing. And we just feel empty and we wonder why we're not going to the fountain of living water, but we're going to these broken cisterns of our lives that are leaky. And we're not satisfied. But Jesus goes, if you're hungry, come to me. If you're thirsty, come to me. You want life, go to Jesus. You want to be full, go to Jesus. And then the psalmist, David, he says, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You want lasting pleasure? Go to God. You want lasting life? Go to God. You want lasting satisfaction? Go to God. He's not anti-joy. He's not a big fun sucker. He just wants you to have the actual life that you were designed for and not the counterfeit one that the world puts on a platter and says, come and eat. Jesus literally says, come and eat of me. 
come to me, all you who are weary. Come to me if you want to know the way to walk in life. Come to me if you want to know the truth. Come to me if you want real life. And when you get it, he will satisfy. Because the things of the world are empty and fading, but the things of God are full and they are forever. And eternal life doesn't just start now, but it is forever. You can have that life now, but you will have it forever. But it requires that you love one thing and one thing only, God. Who are you going to love today? What are you going to love today? Choose this day who are you going to love? The world? Only. God, I have it all for you. Everything I have is yours, God says. You're my child. The choice is pretty simple. And if there's one thing, I already said there's one thing at the beginning. If there's one more thing that I could leave with you, just love God. It's that simple. Jesus believes that you can actually follow him because he says, come and follow me. He wouldn't ask us to do something that he doesn't believe with his help we can actually do. Do you believe that? You can actually follow him and you can actually experience life. Let's do that today. But that requires that we reject the counterfeit things of the world and we walk in newness of life with the God who created it. Amen? Let's pray. God, we are commanded to give up our lives and when we give up our lives for your sake and the gospel, we pick them right back up as we journey with you. But we pick up the lives that you've always designed us to live. So help us to do that today, Lord. We are weak and we are frail and we often return to the things of the world seeking satisfaction that only you can provide. So help us to turn to you when our hearts long, when our hearts are thirsty, when our hearts are hungry. And when we do, Lord, we pray that we would experience those pleasures forevermore, that we would experience life and life to the full, and that we would experience the security of knowing that we are walking the narrow path, the path that many do not walk, but the path that you have designed for all of us to walk. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.